3: Main Menu.
1: Menu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Main Menu for the 3rd of August 2018. I am your co host Jason Castingway, and hey there, it's good to be back after our break. We're going to start off with Steve Matsura as he unboxes and sets up his new Toshiba Fire Edition TV. Next, Janine is coming to show off her brand new BrailleMe refreshable Braille display. And finally, A very important and much needed step, yours truly will present guidelines we are setting forth to help those of you who wish to submit content for main menu. So please listen carefully to that. We're also going to post it so that people can refer to it as needed. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
2: Hello everyone, this is Steve Matsura, and I have a program for you, all about setting up the new Amazon Toshiba Fire Edition television with VoiceView. Before I get started, thanks to Andre Louis for the background music. Now, let's open up the box and see what's inside. What's in the box? Besides a lot of styrofoam, which there really is a lot of. But uh, that's because you want to uh, make sure the TV doesn't get a good clacking during shipping, which was one of the big problems with the fire element. So uh, there's a lot of padding with styrofoam on the side, and there's a big piece of full-size screen cardboard that uh, cushions it on that side. Because if you've never owned an LCD or LED television before, there's one thing... Two things you really need to know about it. One is, they're delicate. They don't deal well with being clacked, or tapped, or, or even touched. And the other thing is, you really don't want to touch them at all, or wipe them with anything other than a cotton dry cloth. Because the uh, layer of plastic between you and where all those little LEDs are that make the picture is very very thin very very breakable so uh, try very hard not to touch it and get your greasy fingerprints on it as best you can and the best way to do that is to keep the piece of cardboard in place while you're setting the thing up until you get it mounted on the on your stand wherever you're going to put it so the tv itself is in a plastic bag and there is a uh, Uh, A big screen protector cover over it. The TV itself also has tape all around the bezel. You'll want to leave that on until the very last thing that you do uh, that keeps it from getting marred or getting fingerprints on the bezel. There's also in the lower right-hand corner, there's a tag that you will remove. And that may require touching the screen ever so minimally just to find the edge of the uh, of the tag to peel off and that's all disposable it's just a tag that says toshiba fire tv and all of that in the box there's also a bag containing two eight and a half by eleven booklets that are not manuals they are the english and spanish editions of how to operate the tv with the remote which i will tell you all about in a few minutes in that same bag there is a package of AAA batteries which go in the remote which is in a separate bag. Also in the bag with the not manuals there is there are two Ziploc bags of screws. One has washers and one doesn't. The one with the washers is the screw that you will use to attach the pedestal base. The one without the washer are screws you will use to attach a strap If you're going to mount the TV on a wall. Now, I don't have a wall to mount it on, so I used the plastic pedestal base, and that's what I'm going to tell you how to assemble next. So, take everything out of the big box and uh, lay it aside, and locate the two plastic pieces that are the pedestal stands. They are identical, What makes them interesting is how they are attached to the bottom of the television frame. So the first thing you're going to want to do is take the TV out of its plastic bag. Once again, making very sure to keep the uh, cardboard screen protector as in place as you possibly can. Then you're going to want to turn the television upside down because I found even though the instructions don't tell you this, they tell you lay it on a flat surface and find the edge and do it that way like maybe put it on a bed or something or a couch. I found the easiest way to do it for me was to stand it on its head and then sit in front of it and attach the uh, pedestal base that way. The easiest way to do that is to take one of the pedestal pieces and put two screws in it and then line the screws up. You will find on the bottom Of the TV frame that's now facing the ceiling if you turn it upside down, you will find some screw holes about five or so inches in from the edge on the bottom. Now what I did was I I wasn't sure whether these uh, pedestal based things mounted straight or tilted or whether If you notice, they have a a bow to them. They're not exactly straight pieces of plastic. I wasn't sure whether the bow faced outward or inward. I just didn't know. So what I did was I took a piece, I put the two screws in, and I matched it up with one of the uh, pairs of screw holes on the underside of the TV. And uh, as luck would have it, you really only have a one out of two, two chance of getting it wrong. As luck would have it, I, I got it right, and the screws went in the holes a little bit, and I was able to lower the piece of plastic down, and the little plastic keyways on top of the uh, piece fit into the holes on the bottom of the TV, and I just went on from there, and I screwed the screws in with a Phillips screwdriver, and I was good to go. Now it is totally and completely impossible to get this wrong you have a one out of two chance of getting it right when you put it in. The other way, it just doesn't fit, so don't try and make it fit. But I'll give you a little hint. When the plastic pieces are in the right orientation, they face outward toward the front of the TV and inward toward the back of the TV. In other words, they're not straight. So when you turn the TV upside down and you're putting on the piece that's on the left end of the TV, the part of the uh, of the pedestal piece that faces forward where the screen is, that will face outward toward the edge of the TV set. The back will face inward toward the middle. And conversely, on the right side, when you put that piece in, the, uh, the front part of the pedestal piece will face toward the right, will point toward the right edge of the, bottom of the TV and the the back of it will face inward. So when you turn the TV upright after your screws are tight, the uh, the pedestal, as I said, the, the front of it faces outward and the back of it faces inward. And you cannot, absolutely cannot put it on the wrong way. It just won't fit. A word of warning about attaching the base, all the parts are plastic. The screws, the base, And the bottom of the television. It's all plastic. So remember when dealing with plastic screws and other hardware, you can't over tighten these things otherwise something will crack. The screw, the washer, the thing you're screwing the screw into, it's a potential for the thing to crack if you over tighten them. So hand tighten only, don't use a power screwdriver on it unless you are an expert at uh, setting the torque on your power screwdriver so it stops just at the right tension. Otherwise, I am telling you, you're gonna break it. And you break it, and then you gotta send it back, and maybe get another one, and you don't want that headache. So I may sound like I'm overdoing this, but it's all plastic, folks. Don't tighten it too tight. So now that we've got that done, Let's turn the TV right side up and put it on our mounting table, stand, shelf, wherever you're going to put it. Now, because it's a 43-inch diagonal picture in letterbox format, it's wider than it is tall, and it is a good deal wide. It's it's about 3 feet wide and about 2 feet tall, maybe even a little taller than 2 feet. It's uh, definitely wider than the old 27-inch tube-type television I replaced it with. And it's uh, a little bit taller, almost too tall, but uh, <laughs> I was lucky I got it right in uh, on my shelf, and it doesn't uh, obstruct what's directly over it on the next shelf, so I was good that way. All right, let's um, talk about putting the remote together and take the remote out of the bag. And you will notice it has a lot of that, uh, uh, I don't know what kind of tape you call it, a lack of a better explanation I call it clean tape it keeps everything clean and nice and no fingerprints and there's two sets of it there's one that covered the whole remote and one that covered the circular navigation wheel in the middle now I can't tell you anything about what the colors are on the remote mostly because I forgot to ask my wife but I do believe there is at least one red button, and I think that's the mute button. We'll get to the uh, button layout in a few minutes. I will actually have she who must not be named tell you all about that. Because uh, after I plug it in and hook it up, that's the first thing that I'm going to do is turn voice view on and go through the setup. But about the remote, you will notice that it's long... Uh, or tall depending on how you want to look at it and it's very oddly shaped i think the uh the bottom of it is not square or even round it's kind of like a right circular cone cut at a 90 degree at a 45 degree angle rather and the top is the same way so if you want to make sure that the uh infrared unit the led is always facing the uh, television, you'll want to hold it in your hand at about a 45 degree angle, and uh, that way the, uh, the infrared in the back, the infrared uh, window with the LEDs in it, is always facing uh, the television when you want to push buttons and make things happen. To put the batteries in is the usual thing. You use a fingernail or a key, or in my case a plastic knife, to pry open the back. The batteries go in in a standard configuration, flat or negative and down one above the other. and when you put the back on there's a nice little depression in the toward the top of the back that you can use to push it and it locks home. Now I'm not going to tell you too much about the button layout because she who must not be named is going to do that for me. but I will tell you the first three buttons you're going to need, are on the top is the power button and then there's a symbol button beneath that then there are three buttons over the wheel the uh, navigation wheel which is the standard thing up down left and right in the usual positions and select in the middle all those three buttons a little arc of three buttons you're going to want to make sure to remember that the leftmost button and rightmost button when pushed together turn voice view on and off. Voice view is Amazon's answer to talk back on the Android operating system and that is what you're going to use for voice guided navigation on your new TV. So let's put the remote down and talk about the connections on the television. On the left side toward the bottom just behind the bezel is the power button. When you press it once, it turns the TV on. But to turn the TV off, you don't press it once again, you have to press and hold it. Because, I think this is a design flaw, and I hope somebody changes this. If you press it once and release it, you will change the input source on the TV. I think that should be done by pressing it and holding it. Because if you tap the button to turn it on, You should be able to tap it to turn it off. But no, you have to tap it and hold it to turn it off. Or I should say, you have to press it and hold it to turn it off. Otherwise, you will uh, change the input source. Slightly behind and above that is a panel with all your inputs. Top one is USB. There are three HDMI ports. Port one is different. Ports two and three are good for things like... Uh, DVD players, and cable boxes. If you have a cable box that has an HDMI port on it, you can connect this thing to the HDMI port on your cable box. You can't control the cable box with it, but at least you can get audio and video out of it. That's another major complaint I have about these things. I have yet to see one of these HDMI televisions that can control the cable box. Below that is another jack i think it is a toss link or uh, optical output and below that is an earphone jack i haven't tried the earphone jack so i can't tell you whether it cuts off the speakers or not in the back there is a non-detachable polarized power cord and uh, just under that if you turn your hand upside down you'll feel another inset uh, bit of connector and that's where you can connect an external antenna for getting the new UHF format TV signal, and there's also three input jacks. One is composite video, and the other two are left and right audio, and that's for connecting something really old, like maybe you have an old VCR or an old DVD player that doesn't have uh, either Toslink or HDMI. All right. So now plug the unit in and an LED will light up in the front telling those who can see it that there is power. And now let's turn the TV on either with the remote by pushing the top rightmost button or by pushing the power button on the lower left just behind the bezel. And we're going to wait about a minute for any sorts of uh, firmware initialization that may have to happen. And then I'm going to turn on VoiceView by holding down the leftmost and rightmost buttons of the three just above the navigation wheel. That of course will turn voice view on. That's the back button and menu button. So here we go.
4: Voice view ready. Welcome to Voice View on TV. If you started VoiceView accidentally, press the back button to turn off voice view press the play pause button on your remote to begin a brief voice view tutorial. The play pause button is the middle button in the bottom row of three small buttons.
2: I'll do that now.
4: Locating buttons on your remote. The small button in the top right corner of your remote is the power button. The small button just below in the center is the microphone button. You can press and hold the microphone button to search by voice or make an Alexa request. Below this is a row of three small buttons with a slight arc. From the left to right, is the back button, home button, and menu button. Below this, the large round button, inside a ring, is the select button. The ring around the select button is the navigation ring and is used to navigate up, down, left, and right. Below the large round button is another row of three small buttons with a slight arc. From left to right is the rewind button play slash pause button, and fast forward button. Below this another row of three buttons. From left to right is the TV button, a larger vertical volume button, and the mute button. Next row, from left to right, the Prime Video and Netflix buttons. The last row, from left to right, the HBO and PlayStation View buttons. Press select to continue or any other key to hear this description again.
2: Before I proceed, A note about the select button and the navigation wheel. You may have noticed, and I think this is by design, if it's not, I'm I'm glad they did it anyway, that the navigation wheel is a different kind of plastic than the rest of the remote. The rest of the remote is a very slightly rough feeling bit of plastic, while the navigation wheel is the only item on the entire remote that is very smooth, almost smooth like glass. And I find it very handy to have that. It makes it real easy to just put your finger down and go right to it and uh, find your orientation. Another interesting thing, unless the markings on this button are either very small or in very low contrast, my wife told me that the north, south, east, and west, or up, down, right and left positions on the button are not marked visually. They're not marked tactically either. So if you got problems with up, down, left, and right, this is not the TV for you. Uh, That was actually meant to be a joke. But uh, I found that very interesting. The the no tactile markings, that was a bit odd. Considering that the mute button has a small, uh, I guess you'd call it a like a thumb hole. You could definitely tell it's different from all the other buttons. So I would have thought that the uh, navigation wheel would have arrows uh, either carved or, or uh, embossed or uh, something into it, I don't know. But there's nothing, nothing tactile and nothing visual. So now I'm going to press select. We're gonna go on to the next step.
4: Use the up and down buttons on your remote to read tips on this screen. When done, press and hold select to exit the tutorial. 1 of 5. Down arrow. To enable or disable voice view from any screen, hold down the back and menu buttons for 2 seconds. 2 of 5. Down arrow. You can adjust reading speed and volume in settings. 3 of 5. Down arrow. Hold the menu button for 2 seconds to enter or exit review mode. Review mode allows you to explore the screen including all on-screen text item by item using the left and right buttons, 4 of 5. Down arrow. In review mode you can adjust the selected granularity by pressing up and down. For example you could use up and down to set granularity to character then use left and right to spell a word, 5 of 5.
2: Hold select for 2 seconds and... Continue. One of two. Button. what's the other choice?
4: Store use. Two of two. Button. Up arrow. Continue. One of two. Button.
2: Now, before I press select, I have to tell you a little bit about what comes next, and about a failing of voice view, in my estimation. That is, the next screen is the Wi-Fi setup screen. And, of course, it's a standard Wi-Fi setup, the first thing you are asked to do is identify the network you want to join you press the select button and then it asks you for the wi-fi password etc etc we'll get into that in a minute the failing in my humble opinion if you will is that the screen is not identified so until i moved around it and figured out what it was showing me i didn't know that it was the Wi-Fi setup screen. In other words, when I press select, the very first thing I heard was the very first network that it found in the list of 20 or so Wi-Fi networks to which I can connect from my apartment here in Manhattan. So, what you're going to hear is you're going to hear me press the select button, Voice view will chime its little chime, and then you're going to hear the first network name, which is called RiverView, Mine happens to be the second network name, which it mispronounces. And there was a whole kerfuffle about that, which I edited out. And then we're going to get into setting up Wi-Fi access. So you're going to hear me press the select button. You're going to hear me find the Wi-Fi network and then immediately press the select button and go into the dialogue about setting the Wi-Fi password. And this one's kind of important because it explains to you how the on-screen keyboard is laid out, and how you will use the navigation wheel to find and enter letters whenever there is a text field that uh, Amazon TV requires you to fill out. And it goes like this.
4: Review one of 26. Stimmer, two of
2: 26. I'm gonna take that one, because it's high speed.
4: Edit. Enter password for Stimmer A, alpha, on-screen keyboard, all rows and columns of keys wrap. Row 1 contains numbers. Rows 2 through 4 contain letters A through Z, and some punctuation keys. Rows 5 and 6 contain keys for caps lock, toggle to symbols, delete, and other option buttons. The play pause button is a shortcut to submit the password.
2: Using this methodology, I entered my Wi-Fi password. The CAPS, or the shift key, uh, is a lock. When you click it with the select button, it stays locked, unlike uh, iOS and Android devices where you have to do something special to lock it to enter more than one letter in a row uh, in the CAPS position. This one, it stays locked, and then if you want to do lowercase letters, Uh, You have to unlock it by finding it and activating it again. That's also the same for the Symbols key. So when I was done entering my Wi-Fi password, I could have done one of two things. I could have navigated to a Connect button, or, like she who must not be named just told us, I could have, and in fact did, press the Play-Pause button to connect to my network.
4: Connect. Connecting to Stimmer Connecting to Network Downloading the latest software
2: and this as they say in Alice in Wonderland is where all my ups and downs began first of all uh, when I don't get a status report on updates uh, either a progress bar 10% 20% etc or some other kind of audible notification, I get nervous. Well, I'm here to tell you that when you buy and connect your Toshiba Fire TV and update for the first time after connecting to your network, that update is going to take a long time. It took fully five minutes, maybe even five and a half minutes. And by that time, I was squirming. I really thought something had gone horribly wrong. But my wife told me no on the screen. All it said was checking for updates, for software, whatever it said. There was no progress bar that she saw, which I think is another failing. I think it should have uh, done that, Uh, either put a progress bar on the screen or given some sort of audible indication, but there was nothing. So finally, I got frustrated, and I turned VoiceView off, or tried to, and because it was in the middle of updating, I couldn't do that. Oh so I just waited another minute or two, tried turning Voice View off again, and apparently I'd already turned it off, so I wound up turning it back on and the update was finished. A good five and a half minutes went by, so you should be aware of that when you update yours for the first time. Finally, after all updates were complete, I got this.
3: Searching for updates. Checking network speed. Welcome to your new TV. Fire TV Edition is a smart TV that seamlessly integrates your favorite streaming content and live TV broadcasts on one home screen. And you can control it all with just your voice using the voice remote with Alexa. With the Fire TV experience built-in, you can enjoy access to tens of thousands of channels, apps, and Alexa skills, including popular content from Netflix, Prime Video, Hulu, HBO, and a whole lot more. To access live TV broadcasts, simply plug in an HD antenna to the back of your TV and scan for available channels. Then, see what's on now from the home screen or the channel guide. Your TV comes with the voice remote with Alexa. Easily jump to Prime Video, Netflix, or the on-screen channel guide with quick access buttons or with your voice. Once signed in with your Amazon account, use your voice to ask Alexa to search, launch, and control content, or switch to other inputs like gaming consoles, cable, or Blu-ray players. Alexa, tune to ABC. Use your voice to search for something new or find a favorite. Alexa, find Victoria. Then use your remote to select the option you would like to watch. Control playback of live broadcast television or streaming content. Alexa, pause. Ask Alexa to check sports scores, get the latest news, or play music like this. Alexa, play today's hits. Don't you After pairing your devices in the Alexa app, you can control your Fire TV edition with your favorite Echo device, hands-free. Alexa, volume up on Fire TV. And remember, Alexa is always getting smarter and has tens of thousands of skills. You can do everything from ordering food from Grubhub to controlling your smart home. Alexa, dim the living room lights. Now that you've seen what your new TV can do, you'll need to select your experience. After this video, you'll get the option to select between a full and basic Fire TV Edition experience. To get all the features we've shown you, including access to live TV broadcasts, tens of thousands of channels, apps, and Alexa skills, select the full experience and sign in with your Amazon account. If you don't have an Amazon account, you can create a free one right from your TV. If you select the basic experience, you will have access to live TV broadcasts and a limited selection of apps, but you won't have access to the full app store, voice control, or any Alexa skills. If you decide to use the basic experience, you can always sign in or create a free Amazon account later for the full experience. Enjoy your new Fire TV edition. Select your experience,
4: full, one of two. I
2: press select.
4: Full, one of two. I already have an Amazon account, one of two.
2: I press select.
4: Enter your Amazon login ID, next. Enter your Amazon account password, A.
2: And I did that. Now a couple things you need to know about this screen. The Amazon account screen, of course, Your Amazon account is, of course, an email address. The at sign, thankfully, is not on the symbols page. You can find it on the letters page. There's a couple of symbols at the end of the letters on the last row. Plus, they give you a couple of convenience buttons for things like at gmail and .com, .net, .edu. So when you get to... uh, the domain portion of your email address. You don't have to type them in, it's a time saver and it works very well. So uh, I entered my email and password and uh, pressed the appropriate on-screen buttons to continue. And the next thing that happened
4: was this. Sign in, registering your Fire TV edition. Successfully registered. Save Wi-Fi passwords to Amazon. Wi-Fi passwords entered on this device will be saved to Amazon to help you connect your compatible devices. To learn more, visit www.amazon.com/device-support. You can enable or disable this feature in Settings Greater than Network Greater than Wi-Fi Passwords.
2: Now here's something that I just can't figure out. How can you save a Wi-Fi password? with Amazon unless you can connect to Amazon to retrieve it. Think about what I'm saying. Amazon is offering you the ability to save your Wi-Fi password. You buy a new device and you hook it up or you attempt to hook it up. How is it going to connect to Amazon to retrieve a Wi-Fi password if it can't get on your Wi-Fi network? I think what really is happening is that there's an ad hoc network created either between your new Amazon wireless device and existing devices, for example, I have an Echo Dot, my wife and I each have a Fire HD tablet, and now we have the Fire HD television. I think there is an ad hoc network created that can be queried by the new device. Otherwise, it just doesn't make IT sense. Maybe uh, somebody who's... uh, got a brighter bulb on the tree than me can explain that one to me. But uh, that's the only answer I can come up with. Anyway, I allowed it to do it and I moved on. So after the thing was registered, instead of moving on to the next step, uh, it went back to asking me to sign into Amazon again, which I thought was weird. And uh, when I tried it, I got messages that I couldn't read. And my wife came out and told me that the screen said that I was entering an invalid user ID and password to sign on to Amazon. So after a lot of phone calling, almost uh, an hour and a half later, I was told to unplug the TV, which I would lose a lot of my settings, which thrilled me greatly, I'm sure you can imagine. When I plugged it in and turned it back on, sure enough, I had to rejoin the Wi-Fi network I had to re-sign into Amazon. It checked for updates again. Thankfully there were none because my last checking for updates apparently was successful enough. And uh, then I carried on with the TV setup. So after all the reset and sign in and all of that nonsense, uh, nothing happened for a good long time. So I had to turn VoiceView off and then on again. And listen to the different voice that I got, when I did that.
4: Voice view ready. Select your experience. Full. Win of two.
2: Hey, wait a minute. Didn't I already do this? Oh well. Let's carry on. Press select.
4: I already have an Amazon account. Win of two.
2: Oh no, not again.
4: Sign in with your Amazon account. Edit. Is editing.
2: Oh, well, at least we're back to the normal voice again. (laughs) I thought I did this already. I wasn't going to go through this again, so I found and activated the cancel button, and sure enough, I was logged in. Everything was fine. The setup completed with no further messages, and I went directly to the home screen. Now, this concludes the setup portion of my experience. I may... Record another program and explain to you how to navigate the fire TV But it's really quite simple. It may not even be worth another program When I tell you that on the home screen there are seven items Item number one is search where you can search for content in Amazon or Netflix or any of the other services that you may have access to we have here in the Matsura house We have Netflix, CBS All Access, and the NBC application. Item number two on the home screen, it just says home. I don't know why they gave it a separate item. And settings is all the way on the right at item number seven. What you do to activate these things is you move across from left to right. And to enter any one of the items on the screen, you use the down arrow key and choose the option that you want. You can rename inputs. For example, I've connected uh, our cable box to HDMI3, and you can rename them. You can't customize the name, but uh, they give you a couple of good canned names which are quite useful. Then you can press the She Who May Not Be Named button and tell the Fire TV, Change to Cable, and it will uh, automatically Activate your cable box which you need to have turned on then you can pick up your cable remote and choose the cable channel That's just one example of what you can do with it. You can use uh, another echo device such as a tablet or dot and the Amazon application on either iOS or Android and connect your fire TV to your echo uh, network system in your home However, you can only control one Fire device with one Echo device. For example, as I said before, we have three Echo devices in the house, a dot and two tablets. You can only link the Fire TV with one of those at a time. Now, on your network, you can name as many devices as you want with as many different names as you want, but because of the one-to-one linkage between the fire tv and an echo device you don't get to call that device by the name you assigned so for example i can't tell my echo she who must not be named turn on living room tv because if i do that it'll tell me there's no such device however if i say turn on fire tv it'll do it so uh... that's pretty cool this is a brand new echo system It's not perfect, but I really think that the potential for it getting a whole lot better is right around the corner. I'm generally not an early adopter. I've sort of been there, done that in the 70s and 80s, and I'm kind of to the point now in my life where I just wanna plug stuff in and make it work the first or second time. But uh, I'm very hopeful that things are gonna change with this and uh, it's only gonna get better. So that's the conclusion of setting up the Toshiba Fire TV. Thanks for listening.
0: Hi everyone it's Janine for main menu and I'm about to tell you about one of the toys that I got this year at convention it's actually not a toy necessarily but those sounds you heard at the beginning of this particular segment come from the Braille me Braille display this is one of the low-cost Braille displays that's now out on the market we've got the orbit Reader 20, of course, and we have the BrailleMe. And I got a BrailleMe because I am not terribly familiar with 8.Braille, and I felt a little more comfortable with the form factor of this device. So I thought I'd take a minute here, tell you a little bit about it. We'll have more on these particular devices on an upcoming edition of main menu to kind of give you a compare and contrast of the two devices. But for now, the reason that I bought the BrailleMe was to serve as a Braille display for my work computer, which is a Windows machine. I'm very, very happy with it as a Braille display. Now, it is only a 20-cell display, but the Braille on it is uh, what you might call signage Braille. Someone called it uh, restroom Braille, bathroom Braille. (laughs) But it's very crisp and very, very sharp. Now, it can be pressed down if you put a lot of pressure on it, but it takes a lot of pressure. This Braille is produced with magnets. So there are magnets that are used to pop the dots up. What that means occasionally, and this is the only, well, one of the few, I won't say the only, but one of the few negatives about this particular device is that occasionally you have to shake it like an Etch-a-Sketch. It kind of sounds like an Etch-a-Sketch too. If the dots are not quite appearing as you think they should, and sometimes you'll get some little ghost dots occasionally, but if things are not appearing the way that you think they should, you just need to shake it. That's not going to hurt it. It's a pretty robust device. So let me tell you a little bit about it here. Size-wise, this is I don't have anything to compare it to in terms of uh, uh, 20-cell Braille displays that are existing now. I haven't really seen them, but it's not very big at all. It fits easily into, you know, a standard purse or something like that. It comes with a uh, fake leather (laughs) case and a strap, so you can wear it, you know, independently like that, or you can keep it in the case, which I do, and just use it like that. The device is very sturdy. It's plastic, granted, you know, on the the surfaces, but it's very sturdy, actually. It doesn't feel plasticky or like it might fall apart. The keys are ergonomic. Uh, It does have the braille display at the top of the device, so at the furthest point, if you're having it lay flat on a counter, as I do right now, uh, the braille display is away from you. It's at the top of the device versus down at the bottom of the device, like on some others. The front edge of this device is slanted, though, so that your palms rest really nicely on it. And for reading, it's just really comfortable to read. Now, if you're writing and checking your writing, yes, you do have to reach up, which can be a little, ugh, sometimes, but I don't write that much on it. So for me, that works pretty well. So on the top part of the device, you've got your braille display, which is 20 cells. You have cursor routing keys. If you're doing any editing or any kind of reading where you want to move the cursor, you do have cursor routing keys. That's something the Orbit 20 does not have at this point. You also have four buttons, which right now you have buttons on the left, side and the right side there are two of them and they're shaped sort of like arrows and the left side buttons are for up and down in menus and then the right side buttons are for scrolling And the scrolling makes a lot more sense when you're reading than when you're writing. (laughs) So if you're reading along, it's quite easy, especially if your right hand is your dominant hand, to just reach over with your little finger and hit the scroll buttons. Um, The up arrow to scroll back is a little tough to reach. But again, if you're reading, it's great. If you're writing, not so much. But so then... Uh, after that top part, then we've got the part with the Braille keyboard, which is, of course, your standard um, Perkins keyboard. It is ergonomic, so it looks to me like your index and middle finger slant in a little bit more than your uh, ring finger, and it's very comfortable to type on. Let me um, go ahead and open a file here, get into the menu, and we'll get into... Oops get into the files here. You can tell exactly what I use this for. I use it more as a display than anything else. So I'm just gonna go into one of my test files and you can hear about how loud the refresh rate is on this thing and it refreshes instantly. All of the cells refresh instantly. So that is good and I get in here. Okay here we go. So So I was just typing this as a test. And with the Braille keyboard, we also have um, a space bar, of course, in the middle. We have a key on the left, which is our escape key, and a key on the right, which is our enter key. And as you can hear that kind of ticking noise, that is our cursor. And that's where it shows you where the cursor is, the entire cell. Um, the contents of the cell display. So if you're reading along and you want the cursor to do this, you can control it. You can have the cursor blink if you would like. Now for example, I wrote brr instead of brl. So we're just backspacing, and I'm gonna go ahead and put in the correct brl. There we go. So The really cool thing about the BrailleMe is that it has a translator built into it so that no matter what you can type in pretty much whatever grade of Braille you want, you can also bring in a file, etc. It's automatically going to translate it. You don't have to worry about uh, doing any of the Braille translating, anything like that. I'm not terribly conversant in Braille translating and Braille displays, but what I know about this particular display is that I have had no trouble bringing in files and reading them. Now, here's the other caveat. At this time, the BrailleMe only works with BRL, BRF, and TXT files. If you're bringing in things to read, those are your formats that you have to read in, and that's at this moment. I expect that that will change. Um, The Orbit 20 has it well over this uh, device because it can read a number of different file formats, which is wonderful, and I fully expect the BrailleMe to come up to that. It also, as you heard, has a very loud uh, tone to turn on. I'm not going to turn off the Orbit 20. that's a really loud noise. Many, many of us have uh, have begged the uh, product developers to please, oh please, uh, turn that down just a bit. And who knows what will happen in future updates. They may actually uh, turn it completely off, who knows. But we're hoping. Those are the only caveats right now, is that the dots are a bit funny and the turn on, turn off noise is quite loud. And the dots being funny is very simply remedied by shaking the device. It pairs very well with your phone. It can pair up with up to four devices, and you can switch between the four devices. The switching process is a little cumbersome, but not horrible. Uh, It paired easily with my phone. It paired with my Mac. It paired with my uh, Windows machine. You can pair it via Bluetooth or via USB. And again, it pairs quite easily either way. On the Mac, the USB support is still a little iffy and a little iffy with Bluetooth, but it's coming along. Um, The iOS support, it says, is still under development, but actually it's quite good. I've not had a problem with it. So that is the BrailleMe. We'll be talking, as I said, much more in depth about the BrailleMe. The BrailleMe is available right now through National Braille Press. And the pricing on it is just over $500. I believe it's around $525 with shipping. And what you will get with the device is, of course, the uh, device itself, the case, the manual on an SD card on the device and I'll warn you it's all in uncontracted Braille. (laughs) This by the way um, your two choices for Braille are uncontracted UEB and contracted UEB. Get used to it. I know. I know. Uh, there's also a power supply for the unit, and it's a rather unusual power supply. It's a dedicated power supply, and when you plug it in, it's got a little uh, jack, but the jack doesn't go all the way in. It only goes part way in, and that's perfectly fine because it is charging. It holds a charge amazingly long. I've gotten 12 to 14 hours out of this thing, um, not with super continuous use, but using it um, up to eight hours a day as a Braille display, going for a good bit of that day The reason that the battery life is so good on this, and the same thing for the Orbit 20, is that the only time it's really doing anything that requires power is when the pins are moving. So any other time, if you are on a phone call, if it's sitting there on standby, which it does after, I think, uh, five minutes, I believe it'll go on standby, that is the time that it's actually conserving energy and so you get a really long battery life. This will easily last you one day out in the field doing things with it, writing, reading, uh, being a display, etc. So the battery life is great. You get the power supply, you also get the faux leather case for it with the strap, and unlike some, what I like about this case, and there's not much I like about faux leather, folks, but this case is kind of nice because it actually has metal fixtures, the little D-rings on the case where you hook the strap into, and also the um, hooks on the strap are metal, so I, I kind of like that. It just looks a little classier, but you never know when Executive Products will come up with a case for this. Keep looking for that. Again, you can absolutely use it inside the case, no problem at all. So that's the Braille Me from National Braille Press at nbp.org. This has been Janine with Main Menu.
1: Hello, everybody. Jason here. And I'd like to go over with you some guidelines we have set forth for those of you who wish to contribute content to Main Menu. It's something we've been needing to do for a long time. Those of you who are well-seasoned in dealing with audio and editing audio may find this a little Redundant, but it is important for everyone to understand what we expect. And we appreciate you taking the time to listen. Number one is planning. What is it you want to discuss or demonstrate? You may think that's a pretty obvious step, but you'd be surprised how many of us get started on something and then segue and digress and all sorts of things. We mean well, but our minds can wander, and it can be a little distracting for the listener. So it's a good idea to have that focus, and if you're going to go outside the scope, think about doing it at a particular time, try to keep that flow regular so it's very clear what's happening, and then you can get back to the topic at hand. And that kind of goes with the order of business or organizing your thoughts. I sometimes find it very Weird to be talking to a microphone. I don't know what it is. You'd think it would come naturally. I do a lot of performing and other things, but when it comes to talking, I tend to be very deadpan and distracted. So it's a great idea if you need to, to organize your thoughts and have an order that, for example, the listener would use in order to accomplish this task or use this product. In other words, Approach it from the listener's point of view if you have to. Number two, preparing to record. In this case, you will want to gather all necessary components, your recorder, your microphone, your products, or load the software you need. Just have all that stuff ready so when it comes time to record, you're not having to scramble around or scrounge or do things that can be distracting granted if you're able to do it you can just pause the recording but it is great when you have everything together that you need there's always room for something to come up you didn't expect and we understand that but again you can pause the recording or if you know how you can edit out anything you don't want and we'll talk about that in just a minute also you'll want to be well hydrated before recording if you know you're going to be talking for a long time It's amazing how quickly the voice will actually get tired or start to indicate dryness in the throat or mouth. Getting that liquid in beforehand will go a long way in helping. When it comes to recording, you may wish to perform a test first to be sure that everything sounds the way it should. Your voice should be clear and easy to understand. In the recording process, you don't want to be handling your microphone a lot and I'm sorry this is making a lot of noise for you right now, but it is very easy to hear this noise if you're moving around a lot, or having to move your recorder or microphone, and it is extremely distracting and can be rather frustrating. So keeping noise to a minimum is very much appreciated. Also, I'm going to warn you, I'm about to get pretty loud. You don't want to talk really close to the microphone either, It is very distracting and sounds breathy and full of noise that is undesirable. So you will want to be sure you're at an appropriate distance from the microphone. If your voice is tinny or muffled or not centered, it is a big distraction. If you are experienced in editing your audio, you will understand that you can take out anything that you know is not appropriate or is not needed in the recording. Sometimes we have to clear our throats or cough, or we make little noises. All sorts of things that, in editing the audio, you can get rid of. If you're unable to edit audio, please don't let that discourage you, for if you are in accordance with these guidelines, your recording will be quite acceptable, and we can perform some quick edits if needed. If there are a lot of distractions in the recording, interruptions, noises... Jumping around in topic without any order, that is a big distraction, and it would take us a lot longer to edit, so it may become something we will not work with. And finally, submitting your content is pretty easy. If you're familiar with any of the cloud-based drive services like Dropbox, Google Drive, OneDrive, you can use that service to share the file with us via link in an email. You can email mainmenu at acbradio.org and we will be happy to look at your content. Airing content is subject to approval by the Main Menu team. Thank you for listening to these guidelines, and we look forward to your submission. Main Menu is a program brought to you by the American Council of the Blind and ACB Radio. It airs every Friday evening beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern, repeating every four hours until 5 p.m. the following day. You can listen by going to acbradio.org slash mainstream, Using ACB Link for Android and iOS? Yes, ACB Link is available for Android now as well. Grab it as a podcast or call 712-775-4808. If you would like to provide feedback, or if you have a submission of your own, please contact us, mainmenu at acbradio.org. Please understand, however, that airing your content is subject to approval by the Main Menu team. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at MainMenu. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.